Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 9 verses 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so today we're going to talk about the loaves and the fishes. And from this point on you will know that you will not have to worry about even looking for supplies because in fact it's all there. No, that's not true. But we are going to talk about the loaves and the fishes. And, And of course this is a great story. Part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this was it allows me an avenue to talk about one of my um, my sort of hobby horses at the moment okay and you'll you'll see that when we get to the end of the, of the message because it's the last point alright but when we start talking about 5,000 people it's not really easy to imagine it because it's not we sort of think like the MCG don't we but the MCG is about 100,000 people and there's a lot less than that and so I was trying to get a picture of 5,000 people that might be it do you reckon the other one might have been it? I'm not sure. They sort of said that those were the 5,000 people. All right, so now uh, this is the way we've, we've structured this. There's, about, there's a fair few points here we're not going to concentrate on, and then there's another couple of points we'll talk about a bit, but the last two points we're going to talk about at, at a little bit more depth. All right, the first one is, the, we'll start this. 5,000 besides m- women and children, pure speculation, but there's certainly more than 5,000 there, but we don't know. But this is it. They certainly wouldn't have died of hunger if they weren't fed that day. In fact, Michael Mosley, how many people have read, watched Michael Mosley on television? He'd say, don't feed them. It's good for them to have a, actually a fasting day. In fact, he'd say, let them go on the 5 2 diet. They can have five days when they're eating the whole lot, and this is one of those days when they don't. We love the 5 2 diet, 5 2 diet. We, we're actually on it all the time, but we run the fives together. And we we're going to worry about the twos later on down the track. So it works really well for us, but that's so that's one of them. This is one of those those uh, miracles that really probably doesn't matter that much in terms of those people being fed. I reckon Jesus did it for a reason, though a different reason again later on. Uh, wicker baskets—they were the baskets used by travellers to two to three days' provision. They weren't huge baskets. They weren't like the basket that Paul was let down, you know, when he was uh, fleeing Jerusalem. He was—they weren't that big. They had to be able to be carried around, so they weren't that huge. Uh, Y12, well, there's probably reasons for that. There's 12 disciples, there's 12 tribes of Israel, but 
it may well have just been just for the 12 to have a feed at the end of it as well so that God provided for everything and a little bit left over we'll talk a bit about that Philip was the one who said that's going to take eight months wages and I thought if average wage is 50 grand at the moment is it maybe it's not that's about $30,000 for $5,000, a head. You might be able to do that, mind you. You might be able to feed them for that, for something anyway. You know, put something in their stomach. And Andrew found the boy with the five barley loaves and two fish. This was food of the poor, okay? This was not, you know, class food. This was just something that a little fellow who might have taken out and uh, gone his own way and, you know, taken out when he went out for the day. The only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels, apart from the resurrection obviously made a quite a deep impression on the, on the um, disciples because they decided to record it in each of the Gospels. Uh, it's the most massive of the miracles in the sheer numbers. Um, and as we look at it, I reckon I need to keep in mind just how good a miracle it was because, in fact, it doesn't seem to um, reach the heights of healing the sick and casting out demons, does it? You know, that seems to be when we concentrate on miracles these days, we almost think about healing the sick. That almost is the one that's risen to the top. But this one, of course, is something that's uh, quite different again. And uh, from that, and we, you know, we almost have uh, put the, some of the miracles into a different sort of a section. All right, so do we really expect that to happen today on this sort of a scale? We don't, we haven't really seen those sorts of things. We do see the odd healing and that sort of stuff, but we don't often see something like this. But we will talk a bit about that. In Mark and Luke's account, um, the disciples have just returned from a powerful ministry. You know, they were preaching about the kingdom of God, driving out demons, anointing many sick with oil and healing them. And in Matthew and Mark, they just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded, so they were pretty upset. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, right, boys, let's get out of here and we'll go away by ourselves and take a bit of rest. He didn't actually say that. He said, sort of, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. But he, that's really what he was doing. He was saying... Let's get out of here. We'll go away and we'll sort of, you know, have a bit of a bit of a break, a bit of a retreat. Okay? Now, because you want to apply this to November the 11th, 2018, you, you want to make sure that stuff like this um, applies today. We're going to have a look at a couple of these sorts of things. The first thing is this. Ministry opportunities just don't come at a time when it's often convenient, do they? They just come when you're not looking for it and in fact suddenly it's on your doorstep and in fact we would want to make sure that we instill into our hearts and our souls and be people who are ready to respond and willing to put our agendas on aside all the things that are going on ourselves aside in order to be able to do what God might have placed in front of us so that's the first thing we don't want to be a doormat but we certainly want to always err on the, on the side of being available that's the first thing you would want to get from this because Jesus was amazing. He, the crowds follows and he, he just was remarkably generous considering why, why they were going to withdraw anyway. And he didn't actually say, clear off you lot. Why don't you just leave us alone for five minutes, you know? Just go on, clear off. Go back to your places. He didn't say anything that. He just welcomed them and he actually ministered to them and he healed their sick and he preached them and he saw them as a sheep without shepherd, you know. He wanted to look after them in a really warm and generous and a real way. So that's, that's something that we can take from that and instill in our lives in a, in a very, very real way. And even though this is obvious, the second one, but if you give the little we've got, then God can do amazing things with it, just astounding things with it. Now, you'd probably have examples of that in your life 
where you just give the little bit that you've got and God does immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. You know, that's a great scripture. That's one of those things that, as we've said on a few occasions, one of our favorite scriptures because we often see God do those sorts of things, takes how little we've got, we give it to him, and he turns it into the ability to feed 5,000 people. Amazing. Don't despise the day of the small things. A small stone got Goliath, a tear saved Moses. What I mean by that, he was, he was crying when he was in the basket and, the, and they took pity on him because he was crying, the poor little fella. And so he was promoted immediately from someone who really should have been killed to being a prince of Egypt. You know, that's really what happened to him. It's amazing. Um, comments change the course of history. You know, a dream interpreted with Joseph. Five plus two equals a banquet for over 5,000 people. Makes you wonder why Andrew even commented about these five loaves and fishes, doesn't it? Because there's just no way that that's adequate. You just couldn't, you wouldn't have been able to come up with anything that's adequate about that. I wonder why he even mentioned, oh, that's all we've got here. That's not even a chance, isn't it? But anyway, he did. And Jesus said, well, that's okay, let's go. Jesus feeds the people with these four, five small loaves. It wasn't the first time because he had actually, there's a history there, you know, there's a history there with. Uh, water from the rock, the manna and the quail and the, the ravens and the jar that didn't go empty with Elijah and the, and the widow and all those sorts of things. But he definitely uses the disciples to distribute the food. And there's this lovely picture, but if they keep coming back to the Lord, then there's a supply there and they can come out and distribute it. Go back to the Lord, more supply, distribute it. It must have taken a fair bit of time to actually do that, but the food just kept coming until they were satisfied. So these 5,000 plus people, they were satisfied and there was stuff left over. It's really not that much left over. When you start talking about 5,000 people, there's not all that much left over in those 12 little baskets. But that's what God does, doesn't he? He actually does enough, generously, abundantly, and there's a little bit left over often. You know, there's, you know it's abundant plus. So that's another, another one of those sorts of things he does. Now, this is where we start, I reckon starting to think you know a little bit more deeply about what's going on Jesus asked something of them that's impossible how often do you actually think and do we ever think that you know God's asking something of us that really is just beyond our ability here and we just can't think you know widely enough in order to even think about how you might even start doing it but I reckon this one is this this particular story, this feeding of the five thousands, is there so that we can expand our vision of ministry in a real way. We did, they didn't think of it, didn't have a clue where to start. They were comfortable with the other because Jesus had actually taught them and showed them, and they'd been in his in his company a number of times. But this one, well, he said, "You give them something to eat," and they thought, "I don't even know where to start. Don't even know where to start." And really it's amazing in that they could do the sort of tough things in a way, but the most basic of needs for humanity, in fact feeding them, they really didn't have a clue where to start at that stage. But in fact they went on and, and got into it. But it's expanding that idea of ministry. In fact, I wonder, when I was trying to think about this, I, there was almost that you've got to relax more and more, or do you, do you get more intense or do you get more relaxed? And I think you've got to relax. I think you've just got to lay back and relax and say, well, Lord, I'm available, you know, but in fact it's impossible on my behalf. What are, what are we going to do together? Or have you got a plan here? What's going on? You know, that's the sort of thing. In fact, rather than becoming more intense, I sort of think, 
for me anyway, that we've got to relax a bit and just take it as it comes in front of us. I'm sure God doesn't want us to fail, but what he does want us to do, he wants us to know that without him we really can't do much. You know, we can't really do much without him. Unless he is there um, in the middle of it and causing the supply to come, then we're not going to be all that successful anyway. There's, there's probably no limits if we, in, in fact, relax in that enough and have enough faith and have enough sort of go in all of that. He can also put us in, in situations where we're actually doomed to failure in order to make us focus on depending on him. In fact, sometimes that's, that's another thing that happens. We can be absolutely doomed to failure. There's just no way in the world that we can organise this. In fact, it will fail unless he takes a part in it and he alone gets the credit if that's the case and he makes all the difference. Maybe there are time, those times are some of the best times in the world where you enjoy the sense and detect God's presence. I want to talk about a lady that some of you will know this, but um, I'll tell you again anyway. On, on Thursdays, I, I volunteered for the hospital and we take go out to all sorts of places and you get people to uh, who need to go to a, a doctor's appointment. Where really, it's only cancer patients and we take them into Ballarat and deliver them and take them home again. Often, they're quite long trips. All the time we were at Wangaratta, this lady was at, uh, she had one appointment a week on a Thursday and she lived out at Dalesford. Now that meant I was in the car with her 45 minutes out there and to bring her in and then 45 minutes to get home. So it was an hour and a half every Thursday we had a bit of yarn. So, you know, you had to, you talked about lots of different things and she was quite an acerbic lady. What, what would you think acerbic meant? <laughs> Calling us for water. That's, that's probably true, yeah. No, what I meant, what I meant by that, when I said that, I thought, I don't quite know what that word means, but that's, I think, what the word it is. Anyway, it means that she's a bit, a pretty savage old coot in a lot of ways, and she's fairly sarcastic and pretty mean-spirited in in all sorts of ways. But the truth of it is, that was her humour. That was her sense of humour, and it didn't take long before we ended up getting on very well with one another. But she would be quite cranky about all sorts of things. And I was saying to her, I was saying to her that, uh, you know, I was coming up to Wangaratta and we were, you know, what I was doing here and we were speaking about, and we were speaking about this at the moment, and what have you got to say about this and that and the other thing? Oh, she said, oh, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to talk. She was an old atheist. And when, she, when you understood her story, you can understand why she might have been a bit savage with God in a way, because she, had, she was a lady who, when she was young, she was um, in England. She married an American soldier after the war and went to America with him and he got killed in a car accident. At the same time, she lost a couple of her kids. So you can understand. In fact, I'd ask her, you know, what is, what is a life-changing event that made you not be the person that you are now, you know, that changed your life forever? And I was expecting something positive, you know. That's why I asked the positive and so this came out in the poor old thing. Anyway, I asked her the other day, I said to her, what do you think the church offers which is absolutely unique to society? You know, when, when you start talking about, oh, I know you know, she's an atheist, but she did go to, school, to church as a kid. What is it that the church offers that is unique, that it offers and only the church can offer to society that is unique to society? And she said, oh, God, not again. And I said, I think you're right. I think you're right, I said. 
And in fact, it is true, isn't it? That is, she actually was right by using a curse to be right. But in fact, we as a church, as churches, can only offer the society one thing really above and beyond anything else. If you think of anything else, society and our community and our government probably do it better than the church. You know, they, this one of the one of the things that they have promised in Ballarat is a, a food hub for people who are in need for the loaves and the fishes ministry out in West Ballarat, so that all the foods can go there and it can just be distributed. The only thing that we really can offer people that's above and beyond and quite different um, is God Himself. You know, the presence of God in their lives. That is really critical, and in fact. So often God wants to do that through us and sometimes he does things like this to make us rely on him so actually he rises to the surface. All right, but this is maybe the biggie for me. Uh, this, is one, this is one that often comes back to me and I sort of struggle with it a lot because I know I'm a bit inclined to be with the disciples. But it looks like this. It looks like all the 12 disciples got together and we thought they had a bit of a yarn and they thought, oh, Jesus got this wrong. We better send these people home. And he said... Um, so they took the lead and took authority and started to tell Jesus what to do so they came to him and he said look we've got a real good concern for these people you know they must be getting hungry it's the end of the day and they must be getting hungry so we've got a good plan to meet this uh, concern good logical argument why don't we all send them home send them off they can go home or back into the little village where they might be able to get a bit of tucker themselves and they can buy all their food and they send them home Jesus um, and they went to, to Jesus and told him what to do. Now, I might be taking this a little bit further than the, the scripture says, but not really. In a lot of ways, that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were saying to Jesus, well, we've got this under control. You'd send them away. Send them away. So for this reason, that reason, that reason. And in fact, their plan was a good plan. Their concern was a good concern. Um, their argument was a good logical argument, wasn't it? All of those things were good. And it often does for me, it always worries me when we ask the Lord to bless our good plans rather than walk in that natural and lovely and guaranteed blessing of his plans. Now that really worries me. But I know that's difficult. I know that's difficult to discern what are his plans and what are our plans. And sometimes, you know, you can see over here it's clearly my plan over here is clearly his plan but just in the middle I'm not sure which one is this his plan or is that my plan you know I'm not really sure sometimes that's difficult all right at the very least we would want to be saying listen here boss what's going on here you know have you got any ideas you know we are under your authority here we, we won't be able to operate this without you have you got any ideas and even though Jesus wasn't cranky of them and didn't rebuke them, he quickly re-established his lordship. And I often wonder whether this is the why he fed these people, the 5,000 people, to say to them, you know, don't take that position ever again because, in fact, you, I want to show you that I'm, you know, my lordship is so far ahead of your lordship or so far ahead of your authority, it is just plain not funny. Okay? You just, you just make sure that you stick with me and we'll work at this together. Is it one of the most obvious forms of sin? Uh, you know, when I, we never talked about this when we were here last time, but the prodigal son story, I reckon that in a funny sort of way that is a story about sin singular, where the younger son just decides, I don't want anything to do with you, Dad, I'm, I'm off. 
and I'm heading off. Don't contact me and I won't contact you. I'm out of here. So, and and when he's, once he's made that decision, then he ends up in sin, sins plural. You know, he just commits all sorts of things that he shouldn't be doing. The older son, though, he actually rises to the point where he thinks he should be uh, giving his father a little bit of advice. And he ends up being in the other sort of end of the sin where he starts to equate himself with God or his father or even sort of above it. You know, I've been around long enough to give you a bit of advice here, Lord. You know, I, I should have something to say about how you killed what you do with fatted calves and, and rings and all those robes and those sorts of things. You should consult me before you go ahead and do those sorts of things. That's the other side of sin singular, which of course leads to lots of sins plural. Right, now, so what do we do about that? How do you guard against the Lord asking the Lord to bless your plans, even though they're good plans, as against seeking his plans? All right, now that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time now. Three different testimonies. Well, the first one's not so much a testimony. This one, this one in fact, I, I didn't even want to say this, but you, you almost had to say it before we could go on with next. You know that um, we know the old saying, there's wisdom in the counsel of many, and you can, that comes from the book of Proverbs, really. That comes from a number of different Proverbs which come together and, in fact, basically talk about there's wisdom in the counsel of many. But the trouble is that that can be really good or it can be really bad. Chuck Swindoll, we were at a church the other day, and uh, it's actually my son was speaking, and he was saying that he was using this Chuck Swindoll stuff, and so instead of uh, writing it out nice and neatly, he's, he's, this, is what, this is the way he's done it, okay? But he was saying, what keeps us from the will of God and what keeps us from responding to God in a really genuine and, and obvious sort of way? And Chuck Swindoll says the very thing that we're talking about. He says this, First of all, we run ahead or we lag behind. We try to fix the impossible ourselves. And not only that, we're too self-sufficient and then secondly, we turn quickly, too quickly, to the others around us. And we turn to others first because, in fact, what's the, what's the problem with us at the moment is that we're pretty efficient people. We're pretty competent people in lots of ways. And so we try and fix the problem. And if we can't do the problem, then we know someone who's even more competent. And so we go to them and they fix the problem. And many opportunities were lost to have God involved in the problem because, in fact, other really good-hearted, clever, intelligent, good people know what to do. And then he goes on, you turn to others first, you take, you step in and you take charge without being spirit-led, rely on others, um, have them, we have cultivated the bad habit of worrying as well, so that's another one, that's another idea. The other question I've got there is Sam Buscombe's car. Now, this is an amazing story, and I still don't know what the end result of this story is. My son got a phone call the other day, this is our younger son, lives in Geelong and has got four kids youngest son, four kids, I don't know what they do I'm not sure they know what's going on yet no, I didn't say that, don't you tell them that that's not true they know, they are the four of the nicest little fellas you'd ever come across and the little girl thinks that I am the best person of the, of the seven billion people on earth, they, she thinks I'm the best and I'm not going to tell her anything else, she'll find out soon enough he got a phone call from a friend, another friend in ministry, saying to him, we really strongly feel as though the Lord wants us to give you our car, which happens to be a GLX Prado 2010 model. That's how much we know. 
Now that's not a bad vehicle, is it? What sort of that's still got to be worth twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars because it's in still nick, maybe more than that. All right, and he said, "I want you to pray about it and see what you think." Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Do you detect what I sort of detect? That was slightly wrong straight away, because it's in fact, if you're going to go and ask for wisdom of many, then probably asking Sam is the wrong place to be because. Sam is going to say there, oh, we can't take that. Come on, that's just too generous. We wouldn't be able to, you know, there's, there's other things that we can work around and we can do this and do that and the other thing. And, and so they immediately came up with it. We can't do that. We just can't go along with it. It's just, and so this became a discussion that sort of filtered out through all our family and a few other people. And in fact, I sort of think we might have lost this wisdom in the council of many because in fact it went too far and too many opinions in there. In fact, I would have said to the bloke who spoke about it, and then the next illustration is a bit along these lines, I would have said, if that's what God is telling you, that's strictly between you and God, and you work it out with him. And in fact, I, even though I'd be reluctant to take this vehicle, and it sounds too much, far too generous for anything in the world, but that's still between you and God and you've got to actually decide between you and him and don't sort of ask too widely because that's just a matter of being obedient now the next one was Terry Fullerman the miracle in Darium and did anyone re- does anyone remember Terry Fulham? Terry Fulham now we're, what we're doing now is trying to guard against um, doing our plans as against the Lord's plans okay and so if you're going to, if there's wisdom in the council of many, then you want to make sure that you limit the council of many and you want to make sure that they are very sort of spiritual people who you trusted and therefore, you know, you did it in a really good way. The second one was Terry Fulham in the Miracle in Darien. He was an Anglican minister, okay? Went to this church in Darien. I remember reading his book. We st- I haven't got the book anymore. I don't know where it's gone. But this is what I remember. He decided that, in fact... God has led him there and he's got something really quite impactful for this church in Darien and he's going to do God's will there he's going to make sure that he doesn't step in and run the church he's going to step in and make sure that he does God's will in that church and so they decided because of a good logical argument that would work that the leadership of the church the vestry or the um, you know, we call it the elders and deacons if in fact God is in charge of the, of the church then he will make sure that each of those people come to the same conclusion and there will be a unanimity whatever that word is among the people before they make their decisions and so that's the way they ran their church for a good period of time and every time, and they said to the one another that we've just got to be completely honest if we're not sure about it we won't go on if there's one person out of the ten not sure about it, we won't go on, we won't go that way. But we, we do trust you to pray about it and to be honest and to be genuine before God in it and we'll make sure that that works. And so they protected their idea about their plans as against the Lord's plans through that sort of thinking. And so that church only made decisions, very on fire church, and it must have been really along those lines, but only made decisions when everybody was unanimously in agreement. Fantastic. And the story of that church booming was just wonderful, really wonderful. The third example is George Muller. Has anyone ever read George Muller's story? 
Now, you cannot help but be inspired. It could be one of... It's on my top shelf in my library, okay? It's one of those ones you wouldn't give away. If anyone wants a lend of it, well, you better go and look for it in an op shop somewhere because you're not getting mine. No, that's not true. You can have it. Everyone gives you books back. Find it in Kindle. There you are. Thanks. <laughs> Good on you, Harry. George Muller. Now, he is, a, he is an amazing fellow, actually. He was born in 1805. So this is an old story. It's not a new story. But um, he was a, in Prussia, so a German fellow, really, in those ties. And he's called by the Lord to help the poorer children in Bristol in England. And he definitely did feed 5,000 plus. This is what happened to him. But this is not real. This is the good story, but not really the heart of the story. He cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. He was a man of meticulous, because he was German, he was meticulous sort of keeping diaries and all those sorts of things. Um, established 117 schools, educated over 120,000 students. In fact, many of them were orphans. Even he was accused of raising the poor above their natural status in life. How about that for a lovely sort of a... Wouldn't that be nice to be accused of doing something like that? That's fantastic. And everyone's dark on him for doing that, and you're thinking, oh, how can you be dark on that? Anyway, the trouble is, no government support whatsoever, and only unsolicited gifts. £1,381,000 went through his hands. That's £90 million plus plus in our terms in our days. But the trick to it and the heart of it was none of the money was ever asked for. He only had one person he asked for when it came to um, having a problem, having a concern, and that was the Lord. He only spoke to him. That's the, that was the way he actually made sure that he guarded against his plans as against the Lord's plans. He only ever asked the Lord. Isn't that astounding? And he said, when people came to him and said, a bit like the car, they said, you know, we feel as though the Lord's asking us to give you some money. And he said, we'd walk, he'd back off and he'd say, well, don't talk, talk to me about that. There's nothing to do with me. In fact, well, only a little bit to do with me. It's mainly between you and the Lord. Don't, don't tell me anything. And his story is just a wonderful story. All this, he never made requests for finance, nor did he go into debt, even though he had five homes, cost money, on one well document, I'm just going to read this for you. They gave thanks for breakfast when the children were sitting at the table, even though there was nothing to eat in the house. And as they finished praying, the baker knocked on the door with sufficient bread to feed everyone, and the milkman gave them plenty of fresh milk because his car broke down, the cart broke down in the front of the orphanage. Isn't that brilliant? And he had story after story like that in his book, and you, and really, when you read the book. You don't doubt it at all. There's no sort of doubt about that being exactly what's going on. Just a wonderful sort of idea. This is actually, it's made a bit of an impact on our prayer life, actually, this fellow, because, in fact, it made us not share too widely. We didn't, we thought in the end that we often shared too widely, and, and so it made us reduce this. And, and, in fact, why wouldn't, if, in fact, the Lord is the Lord of, King of kings and Lord of lords, the ideas man above all ideas, if he, if he, the richest man of all wealth, you know, why wouldn't he be able to supply our needs if, in fact, you just explained to him what the needs are? He prayed about everything and expected each prayer to be answered. One example was when the, one of the orphan boilers' houses stopped working and he needed to have it fixed. Now, this was a problem because the boiler was bricked up and the weather was worsening with each day. Now, remember, they were in the northern hemisphere and we're in the south, so everything's upside down. So he prayed two things. Firstly, the workers he had hired would have a mind to work throughout the night. And secondly, the weather would let up. 
All right, so on the Tuesday before the work was due to commence, a bitter north wind still blew, but in the morning before the workmen arrived, southerly wind began to blow and it was so mild that no fires were needed to heat the buildings. That evening, it's obvious, I don't know where these were, but they weren't in Ballarat, let me tell you. That evening, the foreman of the contractor company attended the site to see how he might see things along and instructed the men to report back first thing in the morning to make an early resumption of the work. The team leader stated that they would prefer to work through the night and the job was done in the 30 hours. And so it's, there's just, it's, this little book is full of those sorts of testimonies where he only talks to the Lord, just him and the Lord, and the Lord sort of answers in so many different sort of ways. All right, so now just to summarise that. So he, he, what he did was only talk to... So he's guarded his heart and his plans by just talking to the Lord. Terry Fulham guarded his thoughts and his plans by making sure that there was a unanimous agreement within the group. And, and the other one was making sure that if there's wisdom in the council of many, then you make sure you select your council before you sort of spread it too far. And I was talking about this and we thought, I don't think they're recipes actually. I don't think they're recipes. They worked for those people mainly because their heart is right before God and God honours something where your heart is right before God. They might work for you, but in fact the truth of it is you probably might come up with any number of ways where that where you could guard against your plans versus God's plans. And there's a number of different ways of doing it. It's just that those two particular ways are pretty good ways, aren't they? And you'd think they might be recipes for that sort of success, but you'd have to make sure your heart was right as well. Do you remember that scripture that we talked about um, where it said, these people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? Another rule of our life is that you make sure your heart's in gear before you make your move, before you put your mouth in gear, and that is really very, very important, actually, for any of these sorts of things. So the first thing, this is a quick summary. First thing we should stop doing: telling the Lord what to do, becoming His CEO. We just make sure that we never do that. Okay, the things we do more of: watch and learn, because He's constantly calling us forward. You, you, without question, He's constantly calling us forward. I, I would have used to used to say that my spiritual life was like this. It had, uh, God had asked something of me and it would be a quite a major step for me to actually take it, so I'd do it. And then I'd do a plateau out and then he asked again. And so it was a bit step-like rather than gradual-like. Does anyone else would agree with that? Where you might be step-like rather than... Because you end up and you say, no, 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 no. And then you take the step and then you're sort of all right for a while. So it used to be a bit like that. But without question, he's still constantly calling us forward. Come on, let's try something else. Come on, let's go this way. Come on. You know, have a bit more faith in that. Um, keep asking. Have you got a plan here, Lord? Keep talking to him. Keep asking. Keep seeing what's going on. Um, step out in faith. Certainly, definitely. When we hear the Lord say something, you, when we see, we hear the Lord say, "You give them something to eat," then we've just got to step out in faith somehow. We've just got to make the move. We've we've got to start. Biggest problem sometimes in doing anything is starting, isn't it? That is often the biggest biggest impediment. And rest assured that abundant provision comes directly from him. We might distribute it, but he is really the source without question. I'm going to stop there. But we're going to, sort of, we're going to pray and sort of try and summarise that a bit as a prayer as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I just reckon that that uh, feeding the 5,000 is something that is, well, it's beyond our sort of thinking. It's, it's one of those wonderful miracles where 
you know, it's a, it affects 5,000 plus people and we often don't even think of ourselves as as being in the position or capable or anything along those lines. And so I just, I just want to pray for us as a church now that we would be willing to relax in your supply and if you ask some weird things of us that seem way beyond what we're capable of, that we would nonetheless be willing to step out and take that risk, you know, have our faith spelt R-I-S-K, that we are willing to take the risk um, knowing that, well, first of all, hopefully knowing it is your will and very soon discovering whether it is because you're su- you meet the supply, you meet the need. Lord, we just love that picture of the fact that we might distribute it, but you are the supply. That is a lovely picture, and, and we just want to make ourselves available for that too. Lord, would you just take all those thoughts and allow us to think about them and maybe maybe change the way we operate in some small way. And we trust that into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.